This morning, we're starting a new sermon series, and we're simply calling it Finding Your Place. Uh, From the moment that we're born to the moment likely that we breathe our last breath, we're in this eternal struggle with this question, are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is my life the way it's supposed to be? And so what we're going to be discussing in the context of the, of the scriptures for the next like month and a half is what, it, what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that God has put into your life? What is the life path that God has for you? And so the hope is that at the end of the six weeks that you have a better understanding of of who God is calling you to be and and what God actually wants for your life. So we're going to begin the story this morning in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. I don't think I've ever preached from the book of 1 Peter, so this is a first for me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. I think they're almost done, yeah. And this is what Peter begins with. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Now, is is this a new sentence for us? No, we say things like that all of the time, right? Like, oh, it's the end of the world. It's, uh, there was a famous song um, by a band in the 90s, and the song was, it's the end of the world as we know it, and what? And I feel fine. When Peter is reading, when Peter is writing this, he says that the end of all things is at hand. He had just witnessed Jesus being killed on a cross. Jesus was crucified, and then Jesus was resurrected, and Peter saw this with his eyes. If you had been there to witness this, you would think that something is about to go down. And so these apostles, these leaders, these people who followed Jesus every single day for about three and a half years, they were going around everywhere telling people that the end is coming, so listen to what we have to say. Now, generally, when we say the end is coming, you, what do we normally say after that? You better, you better get ready. That's kind of scary, right? You better get right with God, because if you don't get right with God, then you're going to not go to heaven, because we don't believe in hell, right? In a place that's burning somewhere right now, right? Because where would it be? El Centro? <laughs> if you're listening online, I love you, El Centro. No, but when we say things like the end is near, the end of all things is near, we say things like, so you better get ready or you better get right with God. We even have some preachers who will say, if Jesus came today, where would you spend eternity? Again, those are not inviting words. Those are words that make God sound like he's trying to keep people out of heaven. When what the Bible teaches us is that God is going through every effort and going through great lengths to get as many people to spend eternity with him. So when Peter says the end of all things is near, we're expecting him to say something like, so you better get ready. Except that what he actually says is less or or rather more anticlimactic, where he says, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He doesn't say get ready, turn or burn, repent or die. He says, So be self-controlled and sober-minded. This is an issue of being self-aware. If you have your handout, oh man, I'm trying to find mine. Here it is. This passage is an issue of you being self-aware. That there are things that control you and you need to know what they are. 
When the New Testament writers talk about Jesus coming, he is asking that they then go on to ask the question, is it really something, the fact that Jesus is coming one day to make things right, to make this world, renew it, purify it, cleanse it, the fact that Jesus is coming and is going to um, kill off all of the evil and the injustice and there will be no more crying and no more suffering and no more disease. He says, the fact that all of this is going to happen, do you really look forward to that or do you just want to continue to live your life kind of recklessly however you want to? Because if you continue to live your life recklessly and selfishly and you only do what you want to do because it's what I want to do, he's, the, the New Testament writers are, make the point that you're missing out on the way life should be. You see, we oftentimes think that if we get what we want, then life is good, right? We're, we're, we are raised in a society where we are taught, work hard, get financially stable, and then you're going to have a good life. And so what happens, even Christian parents, what, what we do is that we teach our kids that they have to be financially successful for life to be good, right? Right? That's what I was taught, which is why my parents cringed when I told them I wasn't going to pursue a lucrative career that made money, but instead I was going to be a pastor. They're not bad people. They just wanted more. And yeah, it, I, I would like a little more in my paycheck. Helps. But sometimes we tend to focus on the things in our lives that don't, they're really not satisfying. There are all sorts of things that distract us. This morning at our young adult class, we, we were talking about how there are so many influences in our lives. There are so many things that are pulling at our attention that it's very easy to leave God in the background because there are other things in our lives that are more pressing. If you, how many of you watch television? I read a study, or I read a study, I heard the statistic that the average American will spend, I think, was it 36 or 8, yeah, 36 hours a week watching television. Now, to you, that may not seem like a lot, but that's a lot if you have a job and you sleep. That's a lot if you go to school. That's a lot if you have things that you have to do. 36 hours, what does that average out to every single day, except for Saturday? Eight? Six hours a day watching television, that's a waste when we could be doing something more and better and experiencing life. When he says be self-controlled and sober-minded, what Peter is saying is you need to be aware of the things that are sucking the life out of you. And to those things, lay them to rest, kill them off in your life so that you can experience life the way it should be sober and self-controlled. This is an issue, that there are things in your life that you might be addicted to that are sucking your life away. Jesus once said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, which is another way of saying, there is plenty of things in this world that you can spend your time doing and giving yourself to, but they're not always going to be good. They may feel good in an instant, they may give you some temporary relief from whatever you're going through. They may make you happy for a moment. They may keep you entertained. We live in a world where we want to be entertained, which is why it's hard for people when a pastor stands up in the front of church to keep paying attention to him because it's not always very entertaining. Like, I'm not very funny. I try. My kids never laugh. 
Kim laughs, but I think it's because she's in love with me. But we are used to being stimulated by so many different things. We love being entertained, which is why it's so hard for people to come and sit in church for like an hour and listen to a preacher for 30 minutes or 40 minutes talk about a text that was written thousands of years ago. And yet that text, it teaches us that there is more to life than just what's in front of us. Are you aware of what you're giving your life to? And so then the next thing in our, in our, in our little study says that the primary influence in your life should be God. We're influenced by everything. If you watch television, there is, an, there is commercials all the time that are trying to convince you that this product, with, that without this product, your life is not complete. That without this vacation, you will not have really experienced life. That without visiting this place, it, you, you get what I'm saying, right? We are bombarded constantly with advertisements. And an advertisement, it's not really selling a product. What do they say? It's selling a way of life. And sometimes what they offer seems so much more attractive than what the preacher up front has to offer. Is that true sometimes? I mean, come on, let's be honest. If you can't be honest at church, you're not going to be honest anywhere else. Sometimes as preachers, we fail to present the gospel and the life that God is calling us to live. We fail to present it in a meaningful way because we are bombarded by so many other things. And so Peter says, be self-aware. Be aware of the things that are going on around you and what is sucking life out of you and what is actually giving you life. So the best example, the best analogy, the best depth understanding we can come up with are human relationships. Whether it's husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, friends, brothers and sisters, parents, children, whatever, right? Relationships are everywhere. That's really the only thing we get to take to eternity is relationships. Sometimes the relationships that we find ourselves in can be draining and life-sucking. And you have to be able to discern the ones that draw life away from you and the ones that give you more life. So a healthy relationship, here's a little psychology, a healthy relationship will look like this. You have more freedom. In a healthy relationship, the other person will not take freedom away from you, but will give you more freedom, will make you feel more free. I know that's hard, right? Is that hard? Have you guys ever experienced that, hopefully? But when we are in a relationship with God, instead of him restricting our freedom, what God actually is doing is giving us more freedom to invest our lives in the things that are good and not in the things that suck our life dry. So we go on to the next text. And then he says this, the end of all things is near, so be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. For Peter, he believed the end was imminent for him in his lifetime. Obviously, it didn't happen. We're still here. And so instead of saying turn and burn or turn or burn or 
you know, get right with God or you better ask for forgiveness or you better start going to church or you better start giving your tithe or you better stop doing this stuff. And instead of saying all of those things, he says this, above all, in light of the end, above all, what does he say? Keep loving one another earnestly. Is this something that we have been taught? And yet it's right there. Above all, the most important thing in the world, if you have one day left in your life or you have a hundred years, whatever it is, the one thing that is the most important for somebody who calls themselves a Christian, who says they follow Jesus, is to love one another earnestly. That means always. That means love people, even the ones that are difficult to love. And we all know them. There is people in all of our lives that are difficult to love. But if you call yourself a Christian, you don't have the luxury of hating them. This is just what the Bible teaches us. Love earnestly. Sometimes what that means is that we have to learn to forgive. Now, this isn't saying, you know, be dumb, keep putting yourself in the same situation with that person that's going to keep hurting you. The Bible says, you know, don't be dumb. It's a paraphrase, but it's in there. Even if it's not in there, it's true. But the reality is, is for you to be a real follower of Jesus isn't about the name outside of the church that you go to. And it's not about which, um, <laughs> you know, it's not about what beliefs you have. To be a real Christian, apparently, the thing that makes the most important sense to Peter is that you love. Another writer would say that love comes from God, and if you don't love, then you don't really believe in God. If you don't know how to love, you really don't have faith in Jesus. If you don't know how to love, then you've missed the point of what it means that God loves you. And so we continue. And so then he says this, okay, love everyone earnestly. And then he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. How many of you like getting gifts? The truth, come on. Especially if it's a surprise and it's something good, right? If it's something you're like not expecting, you open it up, it's awesome, then you're just like, man, this is an awesome gift. Well, here's the thing. God has given each one of you at least one spiritual gift. Amen? Now, some of you are sitting in here saying, first of all, I don't know what a spiritual gift is. And second of all, I don't know what mine is. If that's you, good, keep coming back because we're going to teach you guys what your spiritual gifts are. We're going to be going through some assessments. We're going to be asking you some very simple questions that you have to ask, and then you can talk to me. We can have our elders sit with you and talk with you about what your spiritual gift is and how you belong in this church, where you belong, finding your place to serve. Peter says, as each has received a gift, what does it say for the gift? As each has received a gift, what? Use it to serve one another. It's not use it and hoard it and make yourself feel better about it and stand up in front of church and draw attention to yourself because you've been given the gift of teaching or singing or preaching or children's storytelling or whatever. You know, we've all known somebody who has a gift. We've all known people inside of the church that have gifts 
but we realize that sometimes some people will use those gifts to just draw more attention to themselves, yeah? Are we, are we, are we following? And what happens is when we see people who are just drawing attention to themselves because maybe they have a gift and they stop using it to serve others, to build others up, to give glory to God, then we don't like those gifts anymore. And then there is this temptation, and I know you guys have seen it. I know if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've known someone who has abused their gift just to get more attention. And so your first reaction is to judge that person and dislike that person because they're using their gift in the wrong way. If you're honest with yourself, you know you have felt that way. But here's the question that I would ask you. How are you using your gift? How are you using the gifts that God has given you? And then the next question is, are you even using the gift that God has given you? Because God gives us gifts. He blesses us with things that we're good at. And then it says, and we are to be as good stewards of God's varied grace. So here's the next line. Each one of you has been given at least one spiritual gift. And God wants you to use it to serve your brothers and sisters. To not use it to serve others is to be selfish and to hoard it. This is wrong. When God gives you gifts, when God blesses you, it's not so you can build up more wealth. Let me give you an example of why we don't know why we have a hard time understanding God's gift to us. As we grow up and we get more money, what's the idea behind money? We want to make more of it, right? And so we open bank accounts so that we can make, so that we can deposit more money into our bank accounts. And the idea is that the more that we have, the better things will be, right? For adults who have bills, right? Amen, someone? <laughs> And so what happens is we take this understanding, this very daily thing that we do, always trying to get more money, we take this understanding and then we think about God's blessings and so we just want to hoard more of God's blessings and what happens is we, it becomes a one-sided relationship with God where all we do is ask God for more and more stuff. And we use Bible verses that, that say, um, if you pray and you believe it, God will do it. And what ends up happening is that we want more and more and more, and we pray and we pray to God to fix this, to do this, to give us this opportunity, to fix this problem. We ask and we ask and we ask for God, and what happens sometimes is we forget that the reason God gives us gifts and blesses us is so that we can bless others. To live the life that God created you to live is not to live it for yourself, but to live it to bless other people. And that's hard. That's hard because we are not taught that way. We're taught that we have to look out for ourselves, that we, we have to watch out for people trying to take advantage of us. And what ends up happening is we, come, we, be, we get hardened and jaded and calloused, and we miss out on the life that God is calling each one of us to live. And so the question you have to wrestle with is how are you using the gift that God has given you? I hope that as we're going through some of these passages in Scripture, my hope is that you would want to know what your gift is. My hope is that you would want to become a part 
of what God is doing in this world and what God is doing in this church and what God can do if all of us together intentionally try to do something to bless others. We're a body. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which means that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. God could have done whatever he wanted to. Jesus could still be here today, and he could be healing people. He could be giving people second chances. He could be giving them food. He could be doing all sorts of things. But the way God chooses to work is not to send Jesus into this world, but to send you and me into this world to make it a better place until he returns. That is your calling. That is your sacred duty. We get so caught up going through school, thinking about the career that we want to do, what kind of lucrative job we want to have when we graduate from college. And those are good things. But your sacred calling and the reason that you were created to live on this planet was to do good for others. And so we continue. We have a few more things to do. The, the, the word good stewards in the Bible is actually the word that was used for like a slave in, in somebody's like plantation type thing. And it's the kind of word steward is used for somebody who manages their owner's estate, who pays the employees, who feeds the other employees, who takes care of everything. But that steward, does he own any of the, of the master stuff? No. A steward doesn't own anything, but he manages everything. You have to think of yourself and myself as somebody who this is God's earth, this is God's world, and he is just asking us to manage what he has given us in a good way to do good for other people. And so this is, we're just going to fly through this one. Whoever speaks, so this is talking about spiritual gifts, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles or promises of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Sometimes we don't want to serve, but we have to understand that it's the God who serves through us in order that, it, that in everything God may be what? Glorified through Jesus Christ because to him belong glory and dominion or power forever and ever. Amen. To God belongs the glory, not to us. And I think that too many times we want the glory, we want the recognition. But to live an authentic Christian life is to give all the glory to God. And so I think I'm going to skip over this. Well, we'll just read it. So Christ gave him, him so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So this was all of the New Testament people these were the gifts that God was giving to people. But he says this was given to them to equip his people or the church for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. When you serve other people, you build up the body of Christ. How many of you have started going to the gym this year? <laughs> they want to raise your hand. Yeah, for many, it's New Year's resolutions, right? The gyms are always, I hate it, they're packed. But when you go to the gym, you go because you want to get stronger, you want to get buff, you want to get in shape. And so you go and you spend the time lifting weights or doing aerobics or swimming or whatever it is, those, you know, kickboxing classes that they have in those rooms, right? 
You go there because you want to get stronger and better, healthier. The way that the church as a body, the way you and I as a body get stronger and we do more is by what? Is it by preaching only? No, it's by serving one another. I mean, I hope I'm sounding repetitive. This is my job. I'm up there, pastor. My job is to help equip you to serve one another. And so, this is the last text, I think. For by grace you have been given. Wait, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Basically, there's nothing you can do to gain your salvation. I was, I was raised, not necessarily by my parents, but just in general, the kind of sense that I got is that we could not do enough good things to get salvation, but we could do enough bad things to lose our salvation, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, okay? But so this is what it says. So there's nothing you can do to gain your salvation. Verse 10, for we are God's worksmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, your entire purpose of being in this world is to do good works of service. Now, I know for some of you, this does not sound glamorous. I know that for some of you, you want something more. For a lot of us, we are so distracted by so many other different things in this life that when we read a text like this, it says you've been given salvation. There's nothing you can do to get it. It's a free gift. God gives it to you. You just have to accept it. All that God wants you to do is to do good works because that's what you were created to do. And if that's not enough for you, I would challenge you to spend some time this week really thinking about what your priorities are in this world because life is short. It'll be over before you know it. Are you giving yourself to something that is good and benefits other people or are you just living for yourself? I once heard a comedian who was making fun of people and he says some people say, some dads say, I take care of my kids, to which the comedian says, what do you want, a cookie? You're supposed to take care of your kids. It's the same idea here. So you do good things for others. Well, what do you want to be congratulated for that? Do you, want, do you want a plaque? Do you want the pastor to say, hey, thank you for doing the good things. Here's a plaque to put on your wall. Is that what you want? Because you were created to do good things. And if we were all doing good things, life would be better for a lot of people. You were created to do good. That's why God made you. Even before there was sin in the world, when God thought up the way this world would be, it was still so that we could serve one another. That's it. For some of you, the perk is that you get to accumulate all sorts of other things in this life. For, you, for some of you, the perk is that you do get to make a lot of money. That, that's an extra. But it's because God knows you can handle it and you will give back to those who are in need. For some of us, we are not given the gift of riches because we may not be responsible to handle it. You were created to do good works. Part one of our series, 
is simply that you were created to do good works of service. God has taken care of the hard part of salvation. God has given you the gift of salvation. You no longer have to earn it. But now because God has taken care of the, the most difficult problem in this world, about now, now you are forgiven, now you can have eternal life, now he wants us to focus on just doing good for other people. And if we can do that, then we're on the right track. Peter says, above all, above all, love earnestly. Keep loving. Keep doing good. Because that is what you were created to do. Will you pray with me? God, we are, we are challenged by your word always. We are challenged to push ourselves to be the people you have called us to be. And God, it's not always easy. At least it's not for me. And so, God, we pray that you would give us strength to do what you have called us to do. God, we pray that you would continue to work on our hearts and on our minds. And for those of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning, God, who are just, who your soul is just, I mean, your spirit is just working on their heart and is just tugging at them, God, I pray that you would lift them up to be mighty leaders in this church. I pray, God, that you would continue to work with each one of them as they find their place among us here. God, we know that there are so many people in this building who are just, who have, who, whose their potential is just waiting to burst forth. God, we want to give flourish to that here. May we be a church that serves well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.